Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. So the reading today is um, one reading from Psalms. We're going through Psalm 51 and uh, Josh Ridley will be shortly coming up to share the message. Um, So Psalm 51, um, I'm reading from the ESV. If you guys do want a free Bible, there are NIVs at the back of the church. Um, Just help yourself to one. I think they're on the back table. So yeah, awesome opportunity to grab a Bible if you don't already have one. All right, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you might be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in my sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me me from my blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it, and you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good in Zion in your good pleasures. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered at your altar. Amen. Thank you, Ruth. Good morning, church. It's uh, great to be here this morning. Uh, For those of you that haven't met me, I'm Josh. I'm one of the candidates for eldership uh, here at North, and um, it's been a little while. It has been a little while since I've uh, shared the word, and uh, it's an absolute pleasure and a privilege uh, to be doing that again this morning. Uh, So if you've been here the last few weeks, we've been in a series, uh, Summer Songs. This is the last week of our our series um, in the Psalms, which has been a great way to begin 2021. Uh, with a posture of prayer and of praise toward the Father, our Creator God. And this morning, as Ruth just read, we'll be spending our time in Psalm 51, a psalm that David wrote after his own experience of dealing with the grips of sin in his life, a psalm that I'm sure we can all identify with and a psalm that I'm sure we will all be encouraged by this morning. We pray with me? Father, thank you so much that uh, you've given us the gift of your word, the gift um, of your will for us to to read and explore uh, and learn from and apply to our lives. Lord, as we unpack your scriptures this morning, uh, be with us, open our hearts to hear what you would have to say to us. Um, Lord, let not this be my words, but your word, Father, that uh, we hear and we take away um, as we grow uh, in likeness of of Jesus and in love for you, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Have you ever mucked something up so badly that you wondered how you could ever come back from it? How could you ever face those people again? How could you ever look them in the eyes? Often our attempts at fixing these situations result inevitably in making them worse. I can remember being very young and my family was visiting my grandparents on their farm in Bordertown some 20 years ago. It was time for lunch and I had recently learned how to use taps and the importance of washing my hands before eating. And despite being told to wait, I decided to put the plug in the sink and turn on the bathroom taps and begin washing my hands. And once I had finished, I tried to turn off the taps, uh, but was still learning my right from my left and my left from my right. And I could not manage to stop the water running. No matter which way I turned the hot tap, no matter which way I turned the cold tap, the water continued to run until I was left with a basin overflowing and in need of an adult to help me. I was trying to fix the mess that I had created, but inevitably I made it much worse. We're going to see in Psalm 51 the mercy of God poured out upon David in his darkest of times and hear the story of redemption as God resets David on the path of righteousness. David made some poor choices and was sucked in by his sinful desires. Uh, No matter what he did to seemingly fix the situation, it only got worse. To understand and unpack Psalm 51, we need to know some of the events that led to David having this moment that he recorded for us to read and to learn from. Uh, Many years prior uh, to the writing of this psalm, Israel demanded that God give them a king so that they could be like the other nations around them with their kings. This was a sign of distrust and a sign of dishonour towards the kingship of God over the people of Israel. But nevertheless, God gave Israel a king. Saul was anointed king and grew from a shy man into a bold king and warrior. And yet his career as king was quite turbulent as he drifted in and out of leading in the will of God. Eventually, after several instances of disobedience towards God, we meet David, a young shepherd boy uh, who is anointed to then become king of Israel. Following a filling of the Holy Spirit, David grew to be a mighty warrior, a respected leader and a faithful servant of the Lord in his kingship. David led with boldness and with humility, dependent and reliant on the Lord's hand for all of his successes. After hearing about David's journey from success to success, we now come to see his downfall, the lowest point in his life and the lowest point in his career. King David had sent his army to war and yet he remained behind in Jerusalem. As a warrior and someone known for his success in war, it seems quite far from his character to now sit at home while his army fights in his name. Perhaps David has let the desires of the flesh, the comforts of his privilege, get the better of him, as we often do with our 21st century comforts and controls. And so one night, as the story goes, David had got out of bed to go for a walk on the roof only to see his next-door neighbour, a beautiful woman, as he describes, 
bathing in the moonlight. David then learns that this is Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, one of his own soldiers who's at war. And despite this, David has her brought to him and he sleeps with her. I feel like things escalated pretty quickly in this scenario. David sees a woman, he lusts after her, and then abuses his power as king to have his way with her. And almost inevitably, Bathsheba falls pregnant from this one night stand. But Uriah has been at war, so who could possibly be responsible for this pregnancy? And riddled with shame, David tries to cover things up by bringing Uriah back from the war. He gets him drunk, all in the hope that he would sleep with his wife and the unborn child would be called his. But Uriah refused. He couldn't bear to enjoy the comforts of being home while his mates, his comrades, remained at war. And at this point, the honour of Uriah is quite striking and further displays David's disgrace in what he's done at this moment. And so again, abusing his power as king, David makes arrangements to have Uriah killed in the battle. The situation has really escalated at this point. David is doing all of this to cover up his own actions so that he might not be found out. A man is going to die in the hope that David could save face. It's like the taps that won't turn off. It doesn't matter what David does, the situation does not seem to get any better. At the death of Uriah, David takes Bathsheba to be his own wife and they then have a son. David has had to move fairly quickly in all of this and we, it reads fairly quickly. And we're not given a clear timeline of the events. We can apply a little bit of logic, you know, assume that Bathsheba would have found roughly four weeks afterward that she was pregnant and then told David and thus began his scheming. And by that time, David had Uriah killed uh, Bathsheba had finished mourning. There might have been another two or three weeks. So then David gets married, and at this point seems to impregnate his wife, leaving only about seven months until baby would come. So ultimately, this is nine or more months of David living in sin without any sign of repenting, trying to preserve uh, his reputation, his great reputation, despite the hurt being caused to so many people around him. And I read in, in 2 Samuel 11, the, the Lord considered what David had done to be evil. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody where they have just laid out some truth for you? Where they put things in perspective for you and you realise what has truly happened? And so the Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, to David to have just that hard conversation. Nathan shared a parable with David, a story telling of injustice and calling for David to cast judgment on the characters in the story. In telling this parable, Nathan shows David that he is the unjust man of the story and that he is deserving of punishment before the Lord. And the Lord speaks to David through Nathan, I anointed you king over Israel and I rescued you from Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that was not enough, 
I would have given you even more. Why then have you despised the Lord's command by doing what I consider evil? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife as your own wife. You murdered him with the Ammonite's sword. And David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Then Nathan replied to David, and the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. However, because you treated the Lord with such contempt in this matter, the son born to you will die. The baby then became very sick and David spent a week fasting and pleading with God to spare his son's life. After the, the death of his son, David washes and he goes to worship in the Lord's house. And this is where we get Psalm 51. Three years ago, last week, uh, I married my beautiful wife, Kim, who's next door with the kids. Some of you who knew us at the time celebrated with us on our wedding day and witnessed the moment in me as I saw Kim for the first time that day. I'm hearing a couple of snickers. As Kim entered the church building to meet me, I wept and not just the tear slowly welling in my eyes, I properly sobbed. And I've been asked many times since then why I responded in this way uh, to what was and ought to be one of the happiest days of my life. And the answer is this. I realised in that moment just how broken I was, how feeble I was, and yet how good and how gracious the Lord had been in gifting me Kim. I realised, like we see David did, just how much I had mucked things up in my own life, how I had driven, uh, had given in, sorry, in to my own sinful and pride-filled desires. And despite this, how good God is to us. So with that in mind, let's unpack Psalm 51 together. Psalm 51 is a, a prayer of repentance and an exaltation to the Lord. God is holy and just and blameless as judge and ultimately the one against whom we sin. And this psalm is written at the absolute lowest point in David's life. As we know, he was an upright and righteous man, but he will be forever remembered by the shameful story that led him to write Psalm 51. This is a psalm that we ought to pray through as Christians to use for dealing with our own sins. This is David's psalm, but it is just as much our psalm and our prayer. It's a robust prayer. It acknowledges sin. It asks God for forgiveness and freedom from sin and guilt. And it reminds us of God's good and of his faithful character whilst praising God throughout. Just as I looked upon Kim and wept at the realisation of God's goodness and mercy and faithfulness, we too ought to read this psalm and be gripped with the same realisation that God is good and he is merciful and he is faithful to us, his children. So as we unpack this psalm today, let's be thinking about our own circumstances uh, and areas in our own lives where we might have committed adultery against the Lord. So reading 51 verses 1 to 6. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. 
completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self and you teach me wisdom deep within. David begins by requesting a gracious response from God for his rebellion, uh, appealing to the faithful love and abundant compassion in the character of God. At this point, David has already received forgiveness in the sight of God. Nathan the prophet declared this to him. But David is still struggling with his own conscience and with the torment of his own guilt. He can't escape the reminders of what he had done. His sin is seemingly all around him. When he would walk upon his rooftop, when he would lie in his bed of adultery, when he would taste the wine that he served to Uriah. These are all reminders uh, of his sin and seemingly inescapable. Our sins should remain in front of us insofar as they serve as reminders of the consequences of sin, not to act as a grip around our necks. We ought to learn from our mistakes to prevent them from happening again, but we need to rest in the forgiveness we have in God. God has forgiven David's sin, and so too ours. And so it's important to distinguish that David knows of his forgiveness from God but is having a hard time forgiving himself. David has done a lot in his life so far, much more than the few events that we've mentioned. And many folk in this situation might look to their own achievements as a way to balance the scorecard. You know, I did this horrible and sinful thing, but I also achieved all these great things for the Lord, so my conscience should be clear. Not David. He runs to God for forgiveness, runs to God for compassion and for grace. Sin is not something that separates the rich from the poor. We are all caught in the trap of sin that we inherited from our father, Adam. It doesn't matter whether you're a king or a slave, whether you're rich or poor, successful or unsuccessful, Christian or not. We're all wrestling with sin and temptation in this life on this broken earth. David acknowledges that he has sinned against God and under his watch. In sin, despite hurting ourselves and those around us, we also display a distrust in the life and in the promises that God has to offer us, as well as a pride in our own knowledge and in our own ways. My dad used to say to me when I was a teenager, that when I disobeyed him, it was like me standing in front of him uh, and giving him the middle finger to the guidance and the wisdom that he had to offer for my life. And the same is true when we sin against God. We tell God that we know better and that he should go jump. But in addition to sinning against God, because God is all-knowing, he sees us when we sin. We might often sin in secret when we think that no one is watching or no one is seemingly being hurt, but God sees and God hurts. And it must pain him to watch on as we, his children, do things that separate us from our Father. 
David goes on in this first stanza to call upon the original sin as a factor in his sinful act on this occasion, not as an excuse for his actions, but in acknowledging his predisposition towards sin and his lack of caution in looking to deter and restrain himself from sinful tendencies and temptations. And as human beings, we are born sinners into a sinful world because of the actions of our ancestors. And this is why, no matter whether we strive to live or even if we could achieve living the perfect life, it's still not enough to redeem ourselves from the sin that we've inherited. The human condition is that we will, never, we will inevitably seek to satisfy our selfish desires, hurting God, ourselves, and the people around us. Read on with me from verse 7. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. This is our prayer of repentance. David is feeling constricted by his sin and his guilt and he needs the Lord to cleanse him and declare him clean. And so he asks to be purified by hyssop for only then would he be declared, declared clean. In ancient Israel, someone who was found to have a skin disease like leprosy would be sent to live outside of the town, which was the original isolation, by the way, you know, before we had luxury medi hotels. Hashtag stop the spread. In, if this person was eventually healed, the priest would examine them to see if they were truly healed from their disease. And to mark this person as healed, the priest would take a bunch of hyssop, which is a plant that looks similar to lavender, and dip it in the blood of a sacrificial bird and sprinkle the blood over the person who had been healed. This ceremony marked the person as healed and free from restriction within the community. Kind of like a negative COVID test, right? Free now to go wherever they wish. David is asking here for the Lord's seal, the Lord's confirmation of his cleansing from sin. Like hyssop to a leper, only then can he be truly free from the torment of his sin and shame. David knows too that it is only God who can cleanse him from his sins and that when God does this, it is a truly purifying process bound to leave him whiter than snow. After asking to be purified and washed clean from his sin and guilt, David then asked the Lord to let him hear joy and gladness. Again, addressing the all-knowing character of the Lord, David asked that he turn his face away from the wrongs that he had done. Just by asking for and receiving forgiveness from the Lord, David wishes for his sins to be out of sight and out of mind from the Lord. He wants a fresh start. Not only does David ask for forgiveness and mercy from the Lord, he asks for the Lord to give him what he needs to prevent this from happening again. David wants his very nature as a human being to be changed. 
He asked for two things. Number one, he asked for a clean heart, a heart that knows the character of God and can be in relationship with him. The hearts that we have now, they have a a bent towards selfishness, satisfying the desires of our flesh. We're not able to do anything really apart from this until God creates in us a clean heart, a renewed heart with an ability to seek God and his good purposes. And number two, David asks for a steadfast spirit that will remain faithful to God, remembering and trusting in the saving work. This right and steadfast spirit will sustain David and keep him on the path of righteousness, remembering God's goodness and God's mercy. Often when we have sinned, we want to hide from God. I mean, we can look at the fall in Genesis 3, or we want to hide from those who we might have wronged. And yet David now asks not to have the Spirit removed from him. He wants the Holy Spirit to be ever-present in his life. He wants to be near to God and for God to not forsake him. David deserves to be cast out of the presence of the Lord, to be cut off from communion with him. And yet this is the very thing that he asks to be left with. David saw firsthand what happened when his predecessor, Saul, had the Holy Spirit depart from him. He became a shell of a man, wrapped up in his sin and tormented with paranoia and misery. Despite deserving this outcome, David wants anything but this to happen. He's so gripped with guilt and grief at what he has done and how the situation eventuated He knows that only God can return the joy of salvation to him. His sin has brought misery and sadness upon him and only the joy of salvation could overcome this sadness. And so David asks again for a willing spirit to sustain him in the joy of salvation, a spirit that will give him constant and consistent peace in the knowledge of his forgiveness. And in response to these requests, David commits to return to God's mission of drawing sinners to himself. He realises how he has veered off the path and wants to return to it, to do the work that God had put before him. This is a true mark of repentance, of turning around, of returning, in that David now commits to teaching sinners and rebels as he once was the errors of their ways, sharing instead the ways of the Lord. And David has a unique position in being able to teach this to others as he reached such a low point in his life that the redemption he received gives him a certain credibility amongst others in the need of the same rescue. David knows the pain of separation from the Father, the pain and the torment of guilt and of shame. And interestingly, this psalm is evidence of David's commitment in that it has been teaching sinners the mercy of God for centuries and will go on to do so for centuries more, just as we read it and unpack it today. The ultimate goal in teaching on the mercy of God and his readiness to forgive is that sinners might be reconciled with the Father as David was. Read with me the last section from verse 14. 
Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God. God of my salvation and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. In your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. David has blood on his hands. He can't wash it off, no matter how hard he tries. The blood of Uriah and the blood of his now dead son. He needs God to take this guilt from him so that he can once again sing the praise of the Lord's righteousness. The guilt in which David suffers has caused his praises to cease and he needs to be free from this so that his mouth and his heart might open to the Lord once again. David commits that his guilt once removed will be replaced with praise and thankfulness unto the Lord. Again, this is a commitment uh, to share with others the knowledge of God's righteousness and the mercy that he offers to sinners like you and me. David knows that above all, the Lord wants a broken and a humble spirit to come to him so that he can restore and redeem and ultimately bring in glory to himself. This pleases the Lord because it is a sign that the pride of man is broken. A broken and contrite heart is one that depends on the Lord for everything. It is a heart that looks to God for purpose and meaning and joy, a heart that is obedient unto God, submitting to his patient discipline and his Christ-like shaping. This broken and humbled heart is acceptable to God because of the sacrifice of Jesus which satisfies God's wrath. The sacrifice uh, was bound, was bled, was burnt. So the penitent heart is bound by convictions, bleeds in contrition, and then burns in holy zeal against sin and for God. That's Matthew Henry. This is the sacrifice that is pleasing to God, a heart that sees its fallen ways, a heart that repents from sin and is zealous for God and living in his ways. David finally goes on to pray for Zion, the people of God in Jerusalem. He asks that they would too be kept from falling into the traps of sin as he did. And in acknowledging the ripple effect of his own actions, David asked that the Lord not let his sin uh, tear apart the people of God, but that God would build them up, uniting them as his chosen people. And in response to the mercy of God demonstrated in David, and for all to see, the people of God would return to worshipping their creator without sparing a cost to the pleasure of God and the joy of mankind. We've seen this morning the way that David dealt with the sin of his adultery. He ran to the Lord. He ran to, the, to his God, repenting and seeking freedom from his guilt. So I ask you all this morning, what adultery do you have in your life that you need to take to the Lord? Perhaps it's literally adultery 
Or perhaps it is some other sin that has caused you to fall out of the paradigm within which God has given us to live. It doesn't matter what it is or how significant it might be. What matters now is how we deal with it. God wants us to run to him with a broken and a contrite heart, to bathe us in his mercy and grace, to bathe us in the forgiveness of the gospel and to restore us to the life that he has for us. You know, as I was preparing to speak this morning, I kind of shook my head in a little bit of disappointment. I've been teaching the Bible for a few years now, and I never thought I would see the day where I delivered a three-point sermon with alliteration. Uh, But here we are. So Simon, perhaps I can get some tips later. When we realise our own sin in the context of God's great love and mercy for us, three things. Number one. Gratitude grows in us. Two, God's good mission becomes our life. And three, graciousness toward others abounds. There you go. Three points, alliteration. Number one, when we realise our own sin in the context of God's great love and mercy for us, gratitude grows in us. We know from scripture that the repayment for our sin took Jesus to the cross Uh, to suffer and die in our place. When we realise just how entrenched in sin we are as fallen human beings, our gratitude in the cross increases. We become more thankful for what Jesus did. When I cried at my wedding, these were tears of gratitude that despite my undeservedness, God still blessed me with a wife and a partner that I could share the joys and the struggles of life with. In gratefulness for God's mercy and compassion, David wants to sing and rejoice so that all people will know the Lord's ways. David commits in gratitude to use this undeserved life that he now has to point other sinners to the love and to the mercy of God. That's point one. Point two, when we realise our own sin in the context of God's great love and mercy for us, God's good mission becomes our life. In verse 13 we read, Then I will teach the rebellious your ways, and sinners will return to you. Again, in grateful response, David takes up the mission of God to proclaim his ways, to steer Israel to his righteous paths. Paul later, much later, wrote to the church in Corinth, For the love of Christ compels us since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live, sorry, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. 
We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As David gives his example and Paul many years later, we are called to be on board with God's good mission in this life. God calls us to share the good news of Jesus with this world, to share it with our communities, out of gratitude for giving us life when we deserve nothing more than death. We've been given this mission, the ministry of reconciliation, to share with those around us the great plan that God has to redeem sinners like you and me to himself. We are not only forgiven, but we are redeemed by the Lord to be about his business. Despite David's great fall, God redeemed him so that one day his great-grandson or thereabouts would enter this world as a baby born to take our place of suffering, that we too might be redeemed from our sin and from our guilt. God chooses us as his children to fulfill his redemptive plan for this earth. So I encourage you to be thinking about the people in your life uh, that need to hear the gospel, that need to be reconciled to God, our Father, as you have been. So thirdly, when we realise our own sin in the context of God's great love and mercy for us, graciousness towards others abounds. David sees his sin and the impact it will likely have on his family, on his community, and ultimately the nation for which he is king. But he doesn't want these people to be afflicted because of his sinful actions. Rather, in realising our own sin in the context of God's mercy and love, this spurs us on to extend the grace of the Lord that we've received to others. We live in community with other broken people. Yes, even within the church, we are surrounded by other broken people. And it's inevitable that we will hurt and offend those around us, whether we intend to, or as in David's case, by consequence of our own sin. It's therefore inevitable that we will also be hurt and be offended by those around us. In these circumstances, we then have a choice to make. Do we retaliate and hurt the other person? Or are we so gripped with the grace of Jesus that we forgive and let go? When we truly see the extent of our own sin and appreciate what it costs Jesus to deal with it on our behalf, we cannot help but extend that same grace to the others around us. Perhaps you struggle with this. Perhaps like me, you know, you can be short-tempered, impatient. Perhaps you expect others to live by a higher standard than the one in which you find yourself living. I encourage you to think on the gift that we have in the forgiveness and in the mercy of God. Let your own sin be an opportunity to realise your standing before God and your need for mercy and forgiveness, just as David did. Use Psalm 51 to lead you in asking God for forgiveness and cleansing by his faithful love. May it be a prayer of confidence and assurance 
and the abundant compassion of our great God and a reminder of the eternal life that we have in him, reconciled to our creator God. We pray with me. Father, as we think on the great gift uh, that you give us in forgiving us from our sin and, and dealing with the, the mess that, that we've made and that uh, our ancestors uh, made, we ask that you uh, remind us of the great cost that it was. Lord, help us base um, our life around um, the truth that you did, deliver us from sin and uh, redeem us as you redeemed David. Lord, as we carry this into our week, um, may, it, may it impact the way we uh, interact with each other. Um, may it alter the way that we respond um, to the situations around us. And ultimately, Lord, may this truth lead us to the foot of the cross, to, to you, Lord, to um, be reconciled to you. Um, Lord, we love you and we thank you for the great cost that it was to, to give Jesus in our place. Uh, we pray that this burns in our heart uh, as we go about our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.